open God's word, would you, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Very brief um, passage. Don't get your hopes up. That doesn't mean the message will be brief. That just means the passage is brief. But um, it is um, found in Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. You can follow either um, in your Bibles. I invite you to do that. It's on page 814 of the Red Pew Bibles. It's also on the front of the notes, um, if you'd like to see and follow along with it there as well. The Word of God from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. While you're turning there, um, if you were to glance back over the preceding chapter, you would see over and over and over again, Jesus met people exactly where they are, and he gave them exactly what they needed. Where where they needed a demon to be cast out. I know that makes some of us uncomfortable. But where they needed a demon to be cast out, Jesus spoke and the demon was gone. Where they were racked with disease, in many, in many cases that ended up in disease, uh, physical disease, Jesus touched and the disease was cured. Where they needed hope in, in the midst of, of, of circumstances they were facing and, and hope was not to be found, Jesus spoke gospel truth. He spoke gospel truth into them. And, and uh, their lives were changed. And many of them began to follow him. Many began to walk with him. And picking up the story here in Matthew, the end of Matthew chapter 9, uh, we read, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. In other words, bringing the word of God where they expected to find it, but also proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, things they didn't expect, and healing every disease and every affliction. Look carefully here, would you? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the ones who were following him, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The very word of God. Now, let's unpack it a little bit together. Keep your finger there, would you? I'm going to switch gears here for just a second. Keep your finger, if you would, in in Matthew uh, chapter 9, because we're just going to spend our few moments together there today. But I want to I start, if I could, by, by asking you a question. Um, I was struck as I looked again to this. This is the fourth or third time Jesus literally said these words recorded for us in Scripture. And then he spoke them to the Apostle Paul in a slightly different form in the Gospel of Acts. But, but, um, but in a sense, the thing that caught me was when, he, when the Scripture in verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, uh, and it's not just like, wow, I'm getting overwhelmed by these crowds. But I, I think that that we're privy here to something that that um, that is a part of the very nature and character of God. That that He looks not to us, 
but in us, right? And so the question I want to ask you is, is twofold, really. What does God see when he, when he looks at our culture? And let's just, let's just, for the sake of discussion, talk about this culture. Evansville, Indiana, in, in 2018. What does God see? What does he really see? By the way, you can ask him that question. If you're, if you're stumbling and, and, and thinking, I don't know what he sees, you can ask him. You can ask him. And then through his word and through his Holy Spirit, he'll grant you a vision of that. But then I want to ask you another question. What does God see when he looks at you? What does he see when he looks at you? Now, I have a perspective on that. But it's much more important that you hear it from him than that you hear it from me. When Jesus saw the crowds, when he looked into the hearts of the crowds, he responded. Well, here's where I'm going. I'm going to give you all the cookies right up front and then try and unpack it, okay? Um, Where I'm going is that I think that we need to see as Jesus saw And feel as Jesus felt so that we will do what Jesus did. I know that went by fast, but that's my premise for our study today. We need to see what Jesus saw and feel what Jesus felt so that we will do what Jesus did. I know for myself, I struggle sometimes to engage in what I know God has asked of me to do. And I'm wondering if maybe this passage isn't the secret for me. It's the key that can unlock my response. Rather than just obediently, and that's important, but obediently doing what Jesus said, I want to feel what he felt. I want to see as he sees. And and my suggestion is as we do that, that it will make the doing what he did, uh, much easier for us. And by the way, what did he do? What we've been talking about all morning. He cast out demons. He healed, physically healed people. He proclaimed the gospel, right? Uh, he, he spoke words of truth that, that changed people's lives. And he taught them about eternity. So, so I want to invite you um, to go with me on a little journey, if we can. I want to invite you to think deeply about those questions. What do you see, God, when you look at me? And, and secondly, to, um, to, to say, what do you see then when you look at our community? I'm laughing at myself because I pulled out the... Bible study notes from the Sunday school class rather than my sermon. I'm going, that's not what I was going to do. Well, let's start with the first one. We need to see as Jesus saw. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, Jesus responded, right? 
Now, presumably, Jesus and all the disciples saw the same thing, right? This approaching mob of people. But we learned when we saw this passage before, excuse me, when Jesus said these words before. Remember that just a few weeks ago when we were studying the woman at the well, right? When, when, when they saw all those townspeople from Sychar coming out to Jesus, the woman had said, he told me everything about myself. Could he be the Messiah that came out in droves? And Jesus saw something different than the disciples saw, right? The disciples saw a mob of people and Jesus saw a harvest that was ripe and ready, right? Jesus sees so much more. Jesus here sees a great need of a lost people. A great need of a lost people, right? He he uses powerful words to describe them. He uses the word harassed, right? He uses the word helpless. He sees them as helpless. What do you mean? The mobs around me, God, aren't in any way helpless. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, they might appear like they have it together. But spiritually, they're living apart from Christ. They're going to spend a Christless eternity. They are helpless in and of themselves, right? He goes on to quote Isaiah, they're sheep without a shepherd, right? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, some of you can understand, I feel that way about the crowds, but I stumbled, Pastor Dave, when you called them lost. When you called them lost. I mean, what kind of way is that to talk about another kind of person? And I was taken back, Kristen, to, to um, the John Muir Trail. Um, while we were on the John Muir Trail last year, there was a, um, a hiker who was hiking alone, and uh, and she disappeared. And she was, I believe, a Chinese uh, Chinese woman uh, hiking by herself, and and disappeared. And and the internet blew up, and it was really poignant for us because we had just come off the trail, and our our hearts went out. There is a person out there in the cold by themselves who's not been heard of for days. They are lost. They need someone to go after them, right? If you don't believe someone is lost, then you're not going to go looking for them, right? But if you believe that they're lost, the troops rally and and you engage. I, I feel confident in saying if someone doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are lost. Not for a week, not for two weeks. They are lost for eternity, are you starting to feel the heart of Jesus as that crowd came toward him? He, he saw them and he knew that if things continued the way they were, that they would spend an eternity apart from God. We have a powerful word we use to describe that, right? Um, they, would, they would spend eternity in hell apart from Christ. So, so don't let... The, the social conventions of our day change the definitions that, that God has given. If someone, if someone doesn't have a vital relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then they, they are lost. And the question is, what will be our response when we grapple with that truth that all around us, in our family systems, in our neighborhood, are are, 
are people who are going to spend eternity apart from Christ. What will be our, our response? I can't answer that for you, but I can answer it for Jesus. Forgive the presumption right there, but I do it boldly based on what he said. Because remember when he was talking to Zacchaeus, that wee little man, right? When, when, when he was revealing truth to them and Zacchaeus responded, Jesus gave us uh, one of his mission statements. He has several in the scripture. One of his mission statements was this. For the Son of Man, that's his name for himself, his code name for himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Son of Man. That's His purpose, right? I've shared with you before, but um, it was a funny moment when I was in student ministries. I lived on an island and, uh, uh, and, and we were the only show in town. And so, so um, a lot of kids came to the student ministries. Um, and, and similar to what we do at Christmas time with our students here, we did a, a scavenger hunt. It wasn't at Christmas time, but it was a, a scavenger hunt. And and uh, we set up situations for them, gave them scriptures uh, that, that were their clues. And so uh, we uh, got one of the dads of one of the students to dress up like, um, like a homeless person and park himself in front of, they call it a Jiffy Mart, a little, uh, little Circle K, and, uh, and, and with a cop cry out, um, please help me. And now the clue for the kids was to, to figure out the geography of it, to go to this place, and the clue was give to him who asks. Right? That was the clue. And, and I was watching from a distance because the Jiffy Mart was right across the street from the church. And here is this dad pouring his heart out in this drama. And, and student after student went right by. And they were, they were standing right next to him going, what could this clue mean? Right? And, and the guy's going... Oh, can you help me? And, 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 and they went, give to him who asks, you know, and he's right there. We actually had other adults come up and said, we don't want your kind around here to that dad that was dressed up. Oh my goodness. It, um, it is easy, isn't it? It is easy in the midst of our culture and the busyness of our lives to overlook the very thing, to not see not see the deeds that are right around us. Many of us would say, how could a student miss that? I'm not pointing any fingers because I do that every day. Every day. Like, so caught up. I probably did it to you in the foyer earlier. I'm caught up in what I'm supposed to do next, right? I don't see the people around me. Jesus saw He saw the great need of a lost people, right? But Jesus also saw a great harvest, a great harvest. Did you hear what he said? Uh, The the fields are white for harvest in John chapter 4. The harvest is plentiful right here. The problem, and, and let's hear this for just a second, beloved. The problem is not that people aren't ready to turn to Jesus, right? I mean, there's a, there's a season in a crop when it's not ready to be harvested, right? He's not saying that that's the season that's going on. He's saying the season is right here. People are looking for some connection with God. They're looking for a way to respond to God through Jesus. And, 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 and there's no one to show them. The problem is not the field. 
The field is ready for harvest. Jesus saw that. He saw a harvest of lost people. And the harvest isn't going to depend on on any kind of technique, any evangelism strategy. God has sovereignly set apart the people that are going to turn to Him. And I cannot understand this because He could have at the same time sovereignly communicated to them gospel truth. But He has constrained Himself. I'm choosing words here. But He's constrained Himself to use people to do that. He's constrained Himself to use people. He didn't have to. But He did. Jesus saw the great need of a lost people, but he also saw that the harvest was ready, that the time was right. And Jesus also saw the great need then for workers for the harvest field. He saw that the workers are few. No, you know, he's switching metaphors right in the middle of this brief passage. First, he was using that metaphor of sheep, right? Uh, and, and, the, and the thing about sheep is that the shepherd... Um, the story of the sheep and the shepherd shows man's needs are met by God. There is a great shepherd out there. There is a shepherd of the sheep who will provide for your needs. And some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. Um, God can and wants to provide for my needs. But I, I'm going to risk, I'm going to risk blasphemy for just a second here and I'll try and bail myself out. But maybe just maybe God has put himself, he's constrained himself to need you. I know theologically God doesn't need us. He can do it any way, but he's chosen to use you. He's chosen to reach other sheep with sheep, right? God used saved people to save other people. God uses saved people to save other people. So it's not by accident. If you look just a couple verses down, the next thing that happens, right, is that God sets apart 12 people for Jesus to pour his life into and to prepare them. Right? And, and you're starting to catch on to the methods of God here, but then what's the job of those 12 people? To save the other at that point, at that point, less than a billion people on, on the world? Just, those 12, is it, now they become little Jesuses? No, they, they are going to pour their lives into other people who will pour their lives into other people. They're going to make disciples who make disciples, right? So in the next verses, Jesus stops healing and doing all the things that he's been doing for two whole chapters right before our passage and now says, I'm going to entrust those things to you. Now, now you know me. I believe that if he spoke to those disciples, he's speaking to us. I just believe that is the way the, the word of God works. And so what he entrusted to them, you see this coming? He entrusts to you both in the sense of the task and also in the sense of the methods. But but things don't happen like that. In fact, you'll have Bible teachers who will be on the radio and tell you that God doesn't work that way anymore. I beg to differ. Because a month ago, God cast out a demon 
in the midst of a fellowship of men, he casts out a demon right there in the place. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm blowing your parameters here. We didn't medicate the guy. We didn't do other solutions. What he needed was deliverance, and God did it. A week ago, in the midst of 60-some women, God did miracles of healing physically. God did miracles in their midst. The problem is not that God doesn't do that anymore. The problem is that we don't believe that God does that anymore. And so we don't, we don't ask for it, and, and we hesitate when he invites us to employ those gifts. We hesitate. We're scared. Oh, beloved, there's not one billion people in the world. I actually looked again this morning. There's 7.7 billion people in the world, and probably, probably less much less than a billion of them have a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and I can't understand it. One day, one day Jesus will take away this method that He's using. One day He will come in glory and, and everybody will see Him. Everybody. And many at that point will say, okay, I think I'll believe now, right? But it'll be too late. It'll be too late, right? Until that time, He's got plan A and your plan A. And there is no plan B, right? He's entrusting this gospel to you. He's entrusting this, these powerful gifts to you. What's going what's gonna to get us out of our lethargy? What's going to shake us to the core? What's going to employ us in this holy task? I'm, I'm guessing that, that what will be a big factor is if we can feel what Jesus felt, right? Do you remember our initial statement? We need to see what Jesus saw and feel as Jesus felt if we're going to do what Jesus did. How did Jesus feel? I'm struggling here a little bit because because um, feelings are tricky business. They are tricky business. It doesn't say Jesus felt compassion. It says Jesus had compassion. Are you following me? So I'm hesitant to put all my weight on our feelings because our feelings, our heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9, right? Um, uh, uh, we've got to be very careful about feelings but I want, I want you to understand that Jesus had compassion. He didn't have pity. He didn't have sympathy. As, as precious as those two things are, He had compassion, which we've understood before, right? When we studied compassion, we learned that to have compassion is to actually enter into the situation. If passion is the, is the Latin word for suffering, to enter into their suffering with them, right? And Jesus, Jesus not only saw the need, but then he entered into the need with them. Right? He entered into the need with them. I'm wondering if, if the secret for us in, in, in beginning to do what Jesus did is, is to enter into the story. Why is it that when people go on short-term mission trips, their lives are transformed, right? Because they lived in the situation. When we first went to the 
the poor suburbs of Tijuana and watch children playing in the running open sewers, right? It changed our perspective, right? Um, story after story, when you enter into the situation, it changes your perspective. Now, clearly understand that our goal is not just to get you on short-term missions. I think that would be a transforming experience for you. The goal is to come back and live that same lifestyle right here. In your going to make disciples of all the nations. You don't have to go to Tijuana. You don't have to go. You'll, your life will be changed um, in Myanmar or, or some other place where, where God is moving powerfully. But what he wants to do is move powerfully through you right here where you are. So we need to do as Jesus did. And so Jesus went, right, throughout all the cities teaching, proclaiming, healing, right? He went, as he was going, he made disciples who made disciples. In his going, just as he commanded us, he made disciples, and those disciples made disciples, and and now there are somewhere, two billion by the records, but somewhere around a billion followers of Jesus. Do you realize why heaven's so large now? Can you imagine that worship service? John tried to. In, in John 20 and 21, he tried to understand that. He tried to tell us what it would be like, and, he, and word, words failed him, like they're failing me right now. Words failed him. Jesus went and made disciples who made disciples. But Jesus also engaged lost people. This weekend, if you're able to come, we're going to give you a few more tools, ways, and, and it's going to be surprising to you. It's a God-directed way that you don't have to fear but where you can engage people who otherwise will spend eternity apart from, from Jesus. Now, notice that Jesus did this in houses of worship. And some of the lost people that you will meet will be in houses of worship. Many, many will not. But some will. He went, he engaged, he met People's needs, physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's what all those words are about. Whatever their felt need was, he met that need and in that moment shared with them how they can have a personal relationship with him. He met their needs and Jesus commanded his disciples to pray. This was the thing that was rocking our world in Sunday school class a couple hours ago. I'm going to finish the sentence. He commanded his disciples to pray for God to send more workers into the field. And what we were stumbling over was that he didn't say, you go, right? Remember two weeks ago, was it? In Isaiah, when, 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 um, when God was revealing his glory to Isaiah, he didn't say, Isaiah, you go, right? He revealed His glory. We'll see your glory here. He, he revealed His glory and then He asked, who will go? Who will go? Do you see the needs around you? Are you so overwhelmed with just the busyness of the day that, that, that you forget that God strategically placed you in your family. He strategically placed you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in this church. He strategically placed you there so that you could be His instrument in the world. So let me ask just a couple of important questions for you. These are going to sound really familiar because I asked them at the very beginning of 
the service. How does Jesus see you? How does he see you? Stop. Don't go there. That voice of condemnation was not his. Right? Help me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.1, right? Um, the voice of condemnation is not his. Jesus is inviting you to be his instrument in a world. God was doing some remarkable business this morning. If, if your heart is rising in your throat right now, it's very possible that he wants to do some business with you. And, and I just want to invite you, don't leave. Don't, don't go home and get all that lost in the white noise of your life. Jesus speaks. Respond to him. But many of you understand that and praise God, you've accepted that, you've embraced His call on your life. And so, uh, my question for you is a slightly different one. How does He see our city, right? Because He sees our city, right? He's looking at our city just like He looked at those crowds that day. How does He see our city? And you can ask Him that, right? You can ask Him, what do you see, God, when you see Evansville? What do you see when you see Chattanooga? What do you see when you see Newburgh? What do you see, Jesus? And, and, and as he tells you what he sees, you will know how you can respond. And response is important, isn't it? What will be your response to the very word of God today? What will you do? Who will you tell? And I just really come to believe, in our culture anyway, if you're not willing to tell someone, then you're probably not willing to do anything. And if you're not willing to do anything, then your life really isn't going to change. I don't, I don't hang some huge guilt trip on you. God will use someone else to accomplish His sovereign purposes. And you'll miss the blessing. And it is a blessing. Can I get an amen? It is a blessing to be present when a child is born. It's precious when a child of God is born. You had nothing to do with planting the seeds. You had nothing to do with nurturing them. Many other precious people did. But the field is ready for harvest now. And God is saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for these saints. I, I'm embarrassed, God, to be exhorting them uh, who many of them have been this healing power in my life. Many of them have been truth spoken into my life. Many of whom have loved my family and nurtured us all these years. I feel ridiculous, God, uh, inviting them to something that they've already done for me. But I'm not thinking any longer about me, God. I'm thinking about those six billion people who are waiting, ready for harvest. You've already prepared the way. You're just looking for someone to say, here am I, send me. 
Oh, help us to respond, God. Speak to us. Help us see ourselves as you see us. Help us, God, also to see our community as you see our community. And then to know, God, somehow in the midst of all that, to know how you would have us respond. Now, thank you, God. Thank you that you're here right now, ready to meet our every need. For those of us who need healing, for those of us who need rescue, God, you you are here, ready for that. Then, God, like guardians, you want to send us out into a world to love and lead, care for your precious children. Speak, even now, as we close in worship, speak to our hearts, God. Show us how you want us to respond, and we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name.